everything is copy. There's the obvious stuff like the texts in your ads, the words on your website, but even your social media post captions, your messages to clients and customers, the language that you use in the images on your website, how you talk about your product or service. Copy is language and being able to persuade and convince people through words is core to good marketing. In this episode, I'm going to share six copywriting tricks that every marketer should know. If you want to be able to sell more through words, this episode is for you. Let's go. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm Head Ninja at digital marketing agency Exposure Ninja. We help our clients generate more leads and sales through their websites. And this is exactly what this podcast is here to help you do. Generate more leads and sales. Good copy sells more and it always has. Whether that copy is text in an ad, a script in a video, words on a website, images used in a social media creative, whatever it is, good copy sells more. I've always enjoyed studying great copies from some of the old greats, people like David Ogilvy, John Caples, Claude Hopkins, my all-time favorite advertising marketing person, Dan Kennedy. A bunch of these people are really, really old. In fact, they're all really old. And most of them are so old that they're even dead. You can't get much more old than that. But what has always fascinated me is that no matter how much things change and how much the technology of marketing changes, the fundamentals of good copy remain. I regularly refer back to these greats that I look at their ads, their copy that they use, and we use the same sorts of principles on websites that we're building today. You might use some of the principles from one of these fantastic old long form direct mail pieces in an influencer marketing piece. You know, the principles of human persuasion haven't changed. While some of the language changes, the core fundamentals haven't changed. Now today, we're going to be sharing some tips that are uh, tips and examples from both the old greats and some more new implementations of this. We're going to be looking at Apple. We're going to be looking at old Rolls Royce ads from the 50s and 60s. And what we will see is that the fundamental principles of good copy haven't changed. Now, what I'm not going to be talking about today is make sure you understand your customer, the obvious basic stuff. I'm assuming that you've already done some work to understand who your customer is, what their needs and drives are. That's a kind of price of entry. So this is all about the tricks and the little tips and the hacks that you can use, little copy techniques, rather than those fundamental basics, if you like. Okay, copywriting trick number one is the use of meaningful specifics. So one of the modern masters of this is Apple. If you have a look on one of the sales pages for, I like to go for the top end phones that Apple sells because that's when they really start shredding with their copy. One of their great copy strengths is how they can turn something as essentially basic as, hey, we've made this phone a bit stronger or we've made the camera a bit better and they can turn it into the most delicious compelling copy. I'm just going to read you the intro for their iPhone 13 Pro, which is essentially a fairly minor upgrade on a pretty good phone already. Most people won't actually notice the difference, right? 
But reading this copy, you would think this thing has just been sent from the future by God himself, right? A dramatically more powerful camera system. A display so responsive, every interaction feels new again. The world's fastest smartphone chip, exceptional durability, and a huge leap in battery life. So those are some kind of intro generalities just to whet the appetite and get you going. Then we go into some of the uh, more specific features of this or features slash benefits. So for example, they've made the thing stronger, right? But they haven't just made it stronger. They've used surgical grade stainless steel. The glass, it smashes a bit less when you drop it on the toilet. Well, no, they use a ceramic shield, tougher than any smartphone glass. And they're quite keen to emphasize that this isn't technically glass. This is a new material. It's a ceramic shield. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> this is to cover the retina, the liquid retina display, which is basically a high resolution display with curved edges. So what you can see here is that they're bringing out individual elements of the phone and they're championing them. They're turning them into heroes. And they're doing this by being very specific about exactly what's happening. Industry leading IP68 water resistance. Well, they could just say you can use it in the shower, but they don't. They're meaningful about some very specific things. They use the technical language. And this is really important. Meaningful specifics is not about being dull and boring and sharing the irrelevant minutia that nobody cares about. It's about sharing specific demonstrations of superiority. So if they're going to say that the, that the camera is better, for example, they're going to say the wide camera captures up to 2.2 times more light. Why does that matter? Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But the fact is they've given you a stat. This shows that it's highly qualified. The ultra-wide camera captures 92% more light. Why is that relevant at all? Well, it's specific and it feels meaningful because it increases believability. Now, to go back to an old-fashioned example of this, my one of my favorites, David Ogilvy. Um, there's a fantastic Ogilvy ad uh, promoting a Rolls Royce. The headline of this is, at 60 miles an hour, the loudest noise in this new Rolls Royce comes from the electric clock. You may know the ad if you're a student of marketing. So this ad and loads of Ogilvy ads are packed full of specific details that seem somewhat irrelevant, but actually what they do is they paint a picture of, in Rolls Royce's case, a real clear attention to detail. For example, one of the bullet points, so this ad is actually formatted of 13 different points, which are all just talking about why this Rolls Royce is the best car in the world. Literally, it's why is the, what makes the Rolls Royce the best car in the world, and then there's 13 bullet points explaining that. And I'm going to read some of them to emphasize the use of meaningful specifics. So point number five, the finished car spends a week in the final test shop being fine-tuned. Here it is subjected to 98 separate ordeals. For example, the engineers use a stethoscope to listen for axle wine. Point number eight, the coachwork is given five coats of primer paint and hand rubbed between each coat before nine coats of finishing paint go on. Now why is any of this relevant? If another car has eight coats of final paint, does that make it inferior? Not at all. But the point is, they are showing you these specific details which build up a picture in your mind of there being huge attention to detail. Why does it matter that the engineers use a stethoscope? Because that represents that level of quality 
And it tells you more than Rolls-Royce could ever tell you by saying, we really care about this product. So meaningful specifics are very powerful. And a general question that you can ask yourself here is, if you're better than your competitor in any area, how are you better? Exactly how are you better? As Victor Schwab says, avoid vague generalities. So I've got a tripod in front of me. It's a tiny little lightweight plastic tripod. And you could call it, you could say this is a lightweight tripod made of plastic. But what if instead it was an ultra portable tripod engineered from aluminium and technopolymer capable of withstanding the most extreme temperature on earth? Well, now all of a sudden you've got a completely different picture of that tripod. The lightweight plastic tripod might be a real low quality commodity purchase, but an ultra portable aluminium and technopolymer tripod that can withstand the most extreme temperature on earth, well, this is going to command a higher price point. So you can see how being specific really makes your offering more compelling. The next copy trick that you can use is to answer objections in your copy. Now, again, going back to Ogilvy, he was a master of this. You'll notice that a lot of Ogilvy copy and a lot of Ogilvy's advertising process was about understanding why people wouldn't buy something and also understanding what sort of buttons and what sort of things he had to push in order to get them over that barrier. So for example, in this Rolls-Royce ad, right, I'm not going to lie, the picture at the top, this thing looks absolutely massive. This thing looks huge. But some of the bullet points are actually there just to alleviate this potential objection. So for example, bullet point number three, the Rolls-Royce is designed as an owner-driven car. It is 18 inches shorter than the largest domestic car. Okay, that is a bullet point and that is supposedly used to explain why this is the best car in the world. Well, you can tell immediately from that 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 is not necessarily a benefit at all. That is an answer to an objection, which is this thing looks massive, it's going to be a nightmare to park. Well, if that's what you're thinking, bullet point number four says this car has power steering, power brakes and automatic gear shift. It is very easy to drive and to park. No chauffeur required. Now, no chauffeur required. There's a whole <laughs> separate topic of that. That is obviously implying the level of luxury that we're looking at here. But both of those bullet points are very, very clearly there to alleviate objections. We talk a lot about overcoming objections in the sales process. And if you go on any sales training, they will talk about overcoming the objection in the sale and what objections your customers might have and working out what sort of language you can use to overcome them and flip those and, you know, whatever. But very few people think about objections actually in their marketing copy. Now, the downside of this is you're not even going to get into a sales conversation with someone unless you have handled the objections in your copy. So whilst it might be tempting to just kind of gloss over them and focus on the positives, actually what can be really much more powerful is to focus on the reasons why somebody wouldn't convert, why they might be put off with you and answer those objections actually in your copy before even getting into a sales conversation. Trick number three is to let your customers say the things that you can't. This is brilliant. Um, one of my favorite kind of modern examples of this is on the Boom by Cindy Joseph website. So Boom by Cindy Joseph is a brand owned by uh, marketer Ezra Firestone, fantastic marketer. And one of the things that they do, it's an e-commerce site um, and they'll have a, a, a product title on the product page but the first thing that you will see on that product page is a testimonial. It's in bigger, bolder letters than even the product itself. And 
these testimonials are saying the things that the brand cannot say for itself. For example, on their uh, three boomsticks, one price. So these are, I can't figure out exactly what they are. Definitely not the target audience, but they're some sort of makeup stick that you put on you um, to do things like highlight or uh, moisturize and stuff like that. Anyway, you can buy a pack of three. The point is you land on this page. The thing that you see is not exaggerating when I say these products are the absolute best products I have ever used. And that's by Joanne, a boomstick trio customer. So what they're doing there is they really want to say this is the best makeup. This is the best makeup product that you will ever use. They desperately, desperately, desperately want to say that because that's how they feel about the product. But they can't say that without looking like absolute scumbags, right? You couldn't say that about your own product, but you can use a testimonial that does it instead. Lots of ads these days use testimonials in the ad creative. It's quite a common thing. We'll do it a lot for clients on Facebook ads, for example. If we just want a shortcut and we want to say something that we can't say about the brand, we will use a testimonial. There's a great example. Well, I love studying weight loss ads. I don't know why, but it's always been something that has absolutely fascinated me. Um, I even went to a Weight Watchers clinic wants to just understand the business and, and how it all works. Um, anyway, they've got a fantastic ad that has been running um, in November. And the headline on the ad, it's in quotation marks. So it's not them that's not being attributed to them. Although there's absolutely no reason why they wouldn't have written this. But the headline is, you can eat bread every day and still lose weight. So this is actually doing two things. It's answering the objection for the potential customer who uh, their objection is, I don't want to change anything. I still want to enjoy all of the food that I enjoy. I don't want to change anything about my life. I just want a different result, which is the ultimate um, objection for a weight loss product. So it's answering that, but it's also, but it's using their customer voice to say that thing that they cannot say, which is basically that you will lose weight without changing anything or by basically doing exactly the same thing. So there's various different reasons why they wouldn't be able to say that for themselves, but they can as a testimonial. So it's a fantastic thing to do. Let your customers say the things that you can't. Now, trick number four is from my ultimate marketing hero, Dan Kennedy. And one of the things that he recommends, which I've implemented throughout my uh, time, I don't write many ads, but when I did, um, I, uh, I did this a lot. And when I write books today, I will also use this is to read your copy out loud, either to yourself or to someone else. So for example, last time I was doing the Google book, um, and rewriting that for the next year, I had to do a audiobook version as well. Well, I made sure I did the audio version before the print went out because reading through the audio version, wow, I picked up a whole load of stuff that I wouldn't have picked up before. So what are you looking for when you're reading your copy out loud? And why does it make a difference? Well, reading it out loud helps you find any hang ups, any glitches, any things that tie you in knots and are a little bit confusing. Because when you're reading out loud, you only really have one shot to get through a sentence. If you ha then have to go back through, it's very, very obvious when you're reading out loud. Whereas when you're reading through text, you know, just reading it in your head, you can go back over stuff and get familiar with it. So you can tend to miss things that are trip ups and glitches. So it really helps you to write in simple sentences. And in general, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to write in a conversational tone. And we usually want to write for a younger and less experienced audience than our target market typically is. This isn't because your audience is stupid. It's because when people are reading stuff for the first time, and they're unfamiliar, it's very easy to read 
kind of low grade, very simple sentences than it is much more complex sentences. I have a massive tendency if I had a, you know, a bucket of punctuation to use in every book or article that I wrote, the comma would be completely depleted by the end of the first couple of paragraphs. I'm a massive comma overuser, but reading it out loud stops me from doing this and forces me to work in shorter sentences, which are much easier to consume. Now, Dan also talks about one of his clients who sells to blue collar workers, and he would take this strategy to the next level. So rather than just reading it aloud, because he sold to blue collar workers, he would take his sales letters to a bar and read them to the target audience, the people at the bar. These were the potential customers for the product. What they were looking for wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, does this make sense to people? Are people nodding their heads appreciatively? They were looking for, do these people have any questions or objections that aren't being answered in their copy? Do they actually understand what they're being sold? But how they really knew if this thing was a hit was if the, if the people at the bar actually asked how they could purchase. They weren't just looking for, yeah, that sounds pretty good. They wanted the response to be, yeah, do you know what? Actually, that sounds really good. I want to buy it. How do I get it? That was the success metric that they used to see whether a long form sales letter was good. So read your copy out loud, even better, read it to someone else, even better still, read it to your target customer. And does it elicit that question? Where can I get it? Trick number five is to utilize scarcity. Now, Robert Ringer, another ad advertising great, has a book called Winning Through Intimidation, which I know I, I get that the title Winning Through Intimidation isn't massively, you know, PC these days. Um, but really what the, he was talking about there was kind of intimidation strategies that you can use in advertising. And one of the best ways of intimidating, and again, I don't, I'm not really 100% positive on that word, but scarcity tactics. So various scarcity tactics that you have at your disposal, things like limited supply. So we at Exposure Ninja are often working with a massive waiting list for clients because we are consistently oversubscribed and we have people hanging on and waiting for us. Now, do we use that in our sales process? Absolutely. Because if we have one single open slot for that month or that quarter, we are going to let clients know that we only have one slot. It's not artificial scarcity, it's legitimate scarcity. But of course, we are going to let them know because it's real and because we know that when you limit supply to something, people want it more. This is why toy brands will arrange for their products to sell out before Christmas and then knowing that people will then go and buy another toy, but they will still want the hot on-trend toy after Christmas, so they'll go back and get it after Christmas, so they've got two sales rather than the one. This is why companies will limit supply of new products on launch. This is why you have to wait so long for an Apple product or a Lamborghini or whatever when it is first announced. It's just how it works. Now, there are a few other scarcity tactics that you can use. You can use the implication or even the just the outright statement that most people will buy this. So implying that there's a social proof waiting here. So uh, most people choose this thing, most people choose this thing. The implication there is that if you don't, you are an outsider, you are an odd one out. There's another flavor of this, which is almost like a takeaway sale, which is not everyone is qualified to buy this. And this is a copy uh, technique that you can use very effectively. And lots of people do. This is playing on someone's ego. Now, if we go back to the iPhone example, why is the iPhone 13 Pro called the iPhone 13 Pro? Why are they constantly referring 
to pro and the fact that this is for pros and that pros use it and the features are pro and all of this stuff. Well, they're using it because they're basically saying the people who buy this are an elite group. This is a, this is an ego play. They're saying not everyone is qualified to buy this. That's why they can justify a higher price because again, they're disqualifying an audience and they're asking that audience to self-identify as pros. Now, some people will default to that choice because their self-image is that they are a pro. I am firmly, happily in this category myself. If Apple calls something pro, I will buy it because it's pro, because I am a pro, right? (laughs) There's half of the people listening to this thinking, Tim, you're an absolute idiot. Half of the people thinking, I am absolutely there with you. So you can kind of use this kind of takeaway sale to play against people's egos. I'm going to read you another ad here. This is from John Capel's book, Making Ads Pay, Timeless Tips for Successful Copywriting, which is a fantastic book, by the way. Now, I'm just going to read you um, a small amount of this, and you will see how they're using this, this scarcity and this intimidation technique. The headline says, a wonderful two years trip at full pay, but only men with imagination can take it. The body copy, about one man in 10 will be appealed by this page. The other nine will be hard workers, earnest, ambitious in their way. But to them, a coupon is a coupon, a book is a book, a course is a course. The one man in 10 has imagination and imagination rules the world. So loads going on there. One man in 10 has imagination, imagination rules the world. The people who um, who, who take an, an interest in this, the people who get this, have imagination. We've got three kind of forces there crushing the visitor and pressuring them into engaging with this. They are saying that you are going to rule the world, but the argument essentially is that you are going to rule the world if you buy this, because the logic steps are only men with imagination can take it. One man in 10 has imagination. Imagination rules the world. Okay, that's it. So it is, if you buy this, you will rule the world. Everyone else, they're just the drones. They're the nine out of 10 that are great in their way, but a coupon is a coupon, a book is a book. They're insulting the people that don't engage. And they're saying the people that do engage are a very elite group. So this is a pure ego play. And it's savage, absolutely savage. Now, this type of thing, pretty transparent. You might not want to use that on your website, for example, but you can use elements of that. It's basically what we see with exclusive discounts, insider clubs, that type of thing. It's an exclusionary sale. Most people aren't relevant for this. Only the pros can get in. So that's the fifth uh, copywriting trick. Utilize scarcity. Three different flavors of that. Limited supply. Most people will buy and not everyone is qualified to buy. So tip number six, make it entertaining. This in many ways is like a super tip because if you don't get this, people won't read the copy to begin with. As Victor Schwab says, more adults go to movies than schools of instruction. (laughs) If people don't read it, in other words, it doesn't matter what else you do. People aren't going to get the benefits of your great copy if it's so boring or the headline's so boring that they don't even get to it. More people spend their time flicking through TikTok, getting entertained than they do reading through the pages on Wikipedia every night in their spare time, getting educated. So we have to prioritize entertainment in our copy. Now, another great marketer, this one's definitely still alive, Frank Kern advises those getting into copywriting to read, you know, trashy novels, the stuff that you see at 
left on the aeroplane after a long flight or tabloid newspapers. Why does he say you should read these? Well, both of these types of material are written by people who understand how to keep a reader's attention. You know, I remember um, having a, a whole bunch of people come over to do some work on the house. And these people's attention spans, their, um, their capacity to consume information was, was extremely limited. But they all went out into the van and they all read their tabloid newspapers cover to cover every day. And I thought, how fantastic is that? That the quality of the copy in those papers is enough to consume all of their attention every single day. What fantastic copy that is. And it's available to all of us to study at any point. So what do we see in this sort of copy? What are the principles that we can take from these and apply to our own advertising and marketing? Well, firstly, the power of the headline. The headline is absolutely crucial. If you watch eye tracking studies on either uh, website pages or search results pages on Google, you'll see people's eyes scanning through headlines first, right? We go to the headlines straight away. According to Copyblogger, this is a, I've debated putting this stat in because I've got no idea where the background information is. But according to Copyblogger, eight out of 10 people read headline copy versus only two out of 10 for body copy. Now, again, I don't know, headlines in what? Is that newspapers? In, is that adverts? No idea. But there's the stat. And when you watch eye tracking surveys, to be fair, people always read the headlines. And if you do the flash test where you just flash them up a website and then take it away, not that flash test, um, and you see what they can recall, people will recall the information in the headline far more readily than they can in the body copy. Now, of course, today with digital marketing being as it is, there are often competing forces for our headlines. For example, if we're writing a headline for a page that we want to get ranked on Google, we will have to prioritize keywords. We will have to use our target keywords in that headline. So we can't just take a pure copywriting approach to it. And that can sometimes make it feel like we don't have much scope to be compelling. We don't have much room to play with. But actually using your target keyword in your headline can be very compelling. We don't need to use this as an excuse. After all, it's what your customer just searched for. So it's incredibly relevant. It's the phrase that's top of mind. Any good salesperson will tell you to use your customer's language back at them. So our headlines are very, very important. What else makes for entertaining copy? Well, this ties back to writing conversationally. If you think about the conversations that you have with people that you know, how often do you just find yourself tuning out, wandering off and going somewhere else? Well, if you're my wife, frequently. Uh, but that's another story. Very, very infrequently. And part of that, of course, is social pressure. It's just not the done thing. But part of that is also that when people are talking to us, it's in a conversational style, which we find very compelling. However, when we go on a website, it's often written in a very factual, boring, dry style that makes people, when people write this, people feel safe doing this. It feels very safe. It passes through legal. Everyone is happy with it. But the trouble with boring copy is that people don't like it. Just because it's in a business setting and they're reading it on a web page doesn't mean people are any more tuned into that than they are watching some boring talk from a lecturer rather than watching their favorite reality TV program. So people like conversations. This is why more people engage with influencer posts than business posts on social because the businesses are boring and the influencers are talking in plain English and they're talking in a conversational style. It's also why you see more brands using emojis in their copy, whether it's you're seeing this frequently in email, frequently on social ads, even starting to see it on websites in places. And I have no doubt that we will continue to see emoji copy on websites increase in usage. 
you heard it here first, because that allows us to get the conversational, friendly, personal elements in play, representing, you know, the conversations that we're having with our friends on our devices. Another way of making copy entertaining is to not force people to read through huge chunks of it and signpost them to the stuff that's going to be most relevant to them. So for example, use of subheadlines. Again, this is something that you'll see Apple doing very well. Not only do they break the copy up on their sales pages with huge images and animations, but they will signpost different sections of the page so you can find the section that is most interesting and relevant to you. Nothing is worse than forcing people to dig through huge amounts of body copy without subheadlines to try and find the information that's relevant for them. I say nothing's worse. There are plenty of things that are worse than that, obviously. But from a copywriting perspective, very few things can be as damaging to someone's um, attention as that. We want to use short sentences. We want to use active language. These things are fundamental. Microsoft Word has been attacking you for passive language usage since 2000 and whatever, right? Short sentences, active language. And most of all, the number one thing for writing entertaining copy is to write about the things that your customers care about, including themselves. If you can recite your customer's position back to them, their needs, their desires, their fears, there is nothing more that we like reading about more than ourselves. So that is the best way to be entertaining is to be super relevant and talk about your customer and their situation. So there you have it, six copywriting tricks to help you sell more. We've talked about using meaningful specifics, answering objections, letting your customers say the things that you can't. We've talked about reading your copy out loud and how you can use that and reading it to your potential customers as a way of identifying how compelling your copy is. We talked about utilizing scarcity and the three flavors of that. And finally, making it entertaining. If you have enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to leave us a rating, a review, a follow, a like, whatever the podcast platform phrases that thing, that subscription thing, as then please do one of those. And also, if you want some help with your digital marketing, you want to generate more leads and sales through your website then do request a free website and marketing review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. This thing is freaking awesome. Now, you won't find that in many sales pages, but this website and marketing review is fantastic. What will happen is we'll give you a questionnaire. If you go on the website at ExposureNinja.com, we'll give you a short questionnaire to fill in, which asks you about your current situation and your marketing goals. One of our team will then go away and they'll research how well your site is doing at the moment. They'll have a look at your Google Analytics if you want them to. They'll also have a look at your competitors and see how well they are doing as well. Not only will we look at how the website's performing, we'll also look at the traffic channels that you're using, your visibility on search, what's going on with your social media, and all that stuff. We will then combine all of our findings into a 15-minute video, which we'll send to you by email, usually within two to three working days. At the end of this video, there will be an action plan. These are the priority things that we would suggest working on over the next six to 12 months to significantly increase the volume of leads and sales that you get through your website. This service is totally free and there is no obligation to use Exposure Ninja at all, ever. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request your free website and marketing review today and I will see you or you'll hear me next week. <laughs> <laughs>